Conti here, coming to you from the podcast studio inside the Charleston Digital Corridor's flagship incubator to bring you another episode of the CDC Tech Life podcast. In this episode, we talk to the co-founder and CEO of a Charleston-based technology company that's using technology to drive efficiency in the logistics and supply chain industry. Today's interview is brought to you by Workiva. Workiva is the world's leading cloud platform for transparent financial and ESG reporting. Visit them at workiva.com to learn more about their platform and solutions. Our guest on this episode of Charleston Digital Corridor's Tech Life podcast is Austin McCombs. Austin is president and CEO of Gnosis Freight. Well, welcome to the show, Austin. Thanks, Rich. Glad to be here. Austin, can you give, start by giving us a little bit of an overview of Gnosis, who your customers are, the solutions that make up the platform, some key milestones you've achieved so far over the past four plus years? Yeah, you bet. I'll, I'll start at a high level and feel free to dig in sure. wherever is most interesting. But Gnosis is a SaaS-based platform for international importers. Mm-hmm. So think the Walmarts, the Home Depots, the people who actually put the goods on their shelves. Yep. Uh, we, we have built a platform for them. So we do a few things. One is we help them understand where their shipments are. So the primary piece of our business is in the the, sh- the shipments that you see on ocean carriers. So the big containers mm-hmm. uh, that are moving across that we see go through the Charleston Harbor. Yep. Um, that's the data points that are going through our system. So first and foremost, we help importers know where their things are. Um, the second piece we do is we take those data points and then we help our customers automate and improve decision making upon that, such as scheduling a trucker to pick the containers up at the port or understanding when customs have been cleared. Those are all things that we can automate and improve the decision-making process based on the data that's flowing through our system. So we bring the data in, we help our customers keep up with where everything is, and then help them make decisions with that information. Now, you decided to bootstrap Gnosis when you launched the venture. Talk to me a little bit about that decision and sort of you know why you feel it was important to, to avoid taking on some of that VC funding early on. Yeah, you bet. It's a good question. It's probably one of the most important questions to understanding who Gnosis is. And the way I like to explain it is you have to think of a company like a person. A company has its own DNA, and that DNA is built over time as a business grows and succeeds. What we believe develops that DNA is the incentives around what you do as a business. So for us, when we were originally exploring this venture and looking at this space, what we found is that there's a bit of a disconnect between the technology companies building solutions for the space mm-hmm. and the actual users in the space. Um, the best way to put that is a lot of the companies being built were in the Silicon Valley parts of the world mm-hmm. with a West Coast, West Coast culture and mindset of hyper growth and mm-hmm. really kind of taking the tech playbook. Um, but the customers who are buying these solutions while they're all over the world were a different persona. You know, they are East Coast, a little bit more um more labor-driven kind of thought process. This is an old-school industry that mm-hmm. has, has been around for a long time, and the idea that some new tech, technology Silicon Valley disruptors are going to come in and yeah. change everything isn't exactly <laughs> highly received. So we said, how can we build a DNA of a company that will be different than that? And what we found is that's a, that's a large commitment. You know, It's not just saying something or putting something on your website. It's about building the DNA of your company 
aligned with the results that you want to have. So for us, we said we're going we're gonna to buckle down on three different things. One is we are going to accept no outside funding until we found product market fit. Um, the idea with that is that um, nothing against the venture capitalists of the world. I have a lot of a lot of friends who are in that space. But for this particular endeavor, we found that the incentives that drive venture capital decision making weren't aligned with the incentives that we needed our company to have. Um, the second piece is we were going to do no paid um, marketing or advertisement. The logistics industry is very much a say less, do more industry. Mm-hmm. And going back to the venture capital kind of hyper growth concept, one of the pillars of that is making a lot of noise and getting a lot of attention. While we knew we could probably grow faster by doing that, we wanted to focus on growing healthier. Um, And I'll I'll speak more to that in a moment. And then the third piece was that we wanted to avoid partnerships. You know, when you're raising money and trying to grow a company through a finance backing kind of concept, it's important to show traction. And a lot of companies in our space do that by announcing partnerships and building that to kind of be the kickoff component of their business. But what we found is a lot of the partnership components usually weren't solving the root issue. Um, it was more, for example, in our space, you know, there's three PLs, there's freight forwarders, there's customs brokerages. All of these people are ultimately serving the end customer who's the BCO. We said we wanted to focus our product and any commercial activity only on that end user. So again, that was our way of creating the DNA that we think worked. Um, we may have delayed our candlestick out a bit because of that, but due to building our, our company upon a healthy foundation, um, we, we're seeing the fruits of that investment now. Now, yeah, what are some examples of that, Bruce, like where your decision to bootstrap has sort of positively impacted uh, your progress in certain ways? Yeah, you bet. And I guess the first and foremost data point that we're most proud of is we've never lost a customer to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an industry plagued with churn. Yeah. It's it's usually one of those things where it's what's the hottest product on the market today and everyone kind of rushes to grab it until they find out it wasn't as great <laughs> as the sales pitch that they were given. Um, and then it's time to switch again. We decided that in this industry, everything is about partnerships and long-term relationships. That's how they do business with the rest of their partners. Why not have that same mindset with their software providers? So every customer we've ever gained at Gnosis is still um, working with us today, and we credit that to the you know the approach that we took in that regard. That's a great example. I love that. Tell me a little bit more about your background and kind of the origin story behind Gnosis Freight. What drove your interest in supply chain management and logistics, and what led you to decide to pursue it as an entrepreneurial venture? Yeah, good question. And it's one I get a lot. You know, currently in the recent days, international freight has been, you know, front and center in the headlines. But before the pandemic, no one really knew about it. So everyone's like, how did you stumble upon, you know, these particular problems? The best way, I guess, is just to tell you the story of how I got here. Um, When I was in college, I'd gotten super interested Mm -hmm. in software. I had a previous software company. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem was I didn't know how to write it. Um, and one of my previous companies had some issues um, that it ended up not working out. And I credited a lot of that towards the fact that I had to outsource all of the work that I was doing. Um, so I, I decided at that point when that company failed that I was going to learn how to code. Um, spent the time doing that, ended up figuring out that I was passionate about machine learning. It was cool. I saw that the future was somewhere in that realm. Um, so I started another company, which 
uh, was in inventory management. I wanted to apply machine learning to to managing inventory levels better. I quickly found that this technology was powerful mm-hmm. and that there was some true opportunity, and I started having some success. Um, sometime during that period, I, I met a guy who was from Mobile, Alabama, who was a freight forwarder. First, he kind of started off as a mentor for me, and then me and him really hit it off, and I, I realized this was an awesome guy that I wanted to work with. I wanted to explore ways to work together. So immediately we decided that, you know, he could be a great customer acquisition channel for the inventory company, that he had tons of customers who had inventory issues, and we quickly kicked that off. Um, So it was going great. Um, We continued to build our relationship, and eventually we knew that we wanted to work together at a higher capacity. So the freight forwarding company ended up buying my old inventory management company. Um, And in that process, I started spending time with them and learning more about what their business did. Naturally, as a technologist looking for problems to solve, the international freight industry made my mouth water. It was very much an industry that was antiquated. It hadn't been touched very much in 15 to 20 years, and the problems were abundant. And the opportunities were abundant as well, particularly with machine learning, um, which is ultimately what led to Gnosis Freight being what it was today, which was just a continued effort to solve problems in the space. Yeah, any industry like logistics, inventory, supply chain management, that's really a game of driving margins, right? And that's it's a real game of in, uh, inches. You know, machine learning is is just tailor-made for driving value sort of in those spaces. That's right. And I'll add to it, you know, that when people hear machine learning, they usually think automation or, you know, taking jobs from people. For us, we took a very different approach. What, what we found is the people of this industry are really the glue that holds it all together. Um, and I, I mean that even more deeply than I think from a high level is the people of the logistics industry do way more behind the scenes than people realize um, that the world wouldn't keep turning in the same way if containers weren't getting to where they need to be. Um, so what we decided is we wanted to find ways to build automation solutions that automated the mundane that our customers didn't want to actually do so they could focus on the more human side of things like building relationships with their vendors and solving problems and thinking how to strategically improve their processes. So for us, our machine learning and automation isn't about replacing people. It's about empowering them to do their job better. Uh, what was the experience like starting a, a venture like this directly out of your master's program at Auburn? Were there some unique challenges you faced? Were there some sort of opportunities you were able to leverage? Yeah, you bet. I mean, naturally, I I was young when yeah. I was doing this. And quite frankly, it's an industry built upon experience and yeah. tenure. So, of course, that was something I had to learn how to build my confidence about. But I think the most interesting point, I share this with a lot of you know emerging entrepreneurs, is there's a, a lot of advantages to being young in a more tenured space as well as I didn't have the bias or the need to act like I already knew what was going on. It was very easy for me to be vulnerable and for to learn from other people in this space because there's no way that I, I, I it wasn't like I had 10 years of experience and needed to try to pretend it was 30. I had zero years, which forced me to be very candid about that and to learn quickly and to be able to have open discussions and to look at things a new way. So the way I put it is when you're young, you're able to go in and look at problems without biases, as well as to be able to be open and vulnerable to learn from the people who've done it before you. Doing that congruently and with the right balance, it can really be a superpower. Great. And it's great that it worked out for you in that way. You know, it's, it's great to see somebody go into a venture like that, open-minded and wanting to learn and, and have it pay off for them. So that's exciting. Oh, thank you. Um, t- talk to me a little bit about the decision to bring Gnosis to Charleston. How did that come about? 
Yeah, you bet. As as I mentioned previously, you know, I, I had started doing some work with a freight forwarder out of Mobile. They also had a company in Charleston. So um, as as an early customer, you know, I was working with them trying to learn. I, I came and spent two weeks in Charleston. It only took me two weeks to know I was never leaving. So I ended up moving here, signing a one-year lease, saying, I'll, I'll do this, enjoy some time right out of college in Charleston and move back to Alabama. Something that I see a trend with a lot of people. If you spend more than six months in Charleston, you're probably going to live here the rest of your life. Um, the city's just special. You know, that something of the balance of the water and the people and the, the tourism. It just is a place that you wake up and it's something new every day. And can, especially when you're grinding, trying to build a business, it can be rejuvenating to know that when you're done with work or on the weekend, that you have a happy, healthy place to go around and refresh your mind. How about the tech and entrepreneurship communities here in Charleston? Sort of how, what's your perspective on those? How have you engaged? And, and, you know, what do you think makes that part of what makes the city attractive to entrepreneurs? Yeah, you bet. First and foremost, a continuation of my last point. There's no better recruiting tool for companies in Charleston other than the city. You know, we always say it's it's one thing to try to hire someone on Zoom. Maybe we have a 75% likelihood there. But if we bring someone to Charleston and let them come into the office and see the bridge and go out on the water, everyone wants to come here. So it is an extreme advantage for the companies to be in a cool place. Um, but in terms of the, the community, it's emerging. And I think even in the short time I've been here, which is about six years, I've seen it grow a lot. And, and it's cool because it isn't new. You know, there were technology companies right. that were building in Charleston in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of which it became some of the leaders of those companies that became my great friends and mentors. Um, but it's a good, I guess, extension of the Southern culture that we're in is that everyone helps each other out. Um, and it's teaching each other lessons, getting people connected with the right folks. And what I've seen from it is, well, it's not as probably big as in Atlanta or a New York or something like that. The smaller size gets more more intimate relationships built. And I wouldn't expect anything other than us to be extremely competitive in 10 or 15 years on that regard. Well, what are some of the most significant opportunities and challenges facing you right now at Gnosis Freight? And how do you think the tech community at large here can help you leverage some of those opportunities and overcome some of those challenges? Yeah, you bet. And re- referencing back to, you know, the bootstrap conversation um, for Gnosis, it requires and I think any bootstrap company, it requires a large amount of commitment to be making efficient decisions. Mm-hmm. We didn't raise a $200 million round and have the ability to throw mud at the wall and see what sticks. For us, it's being about it being a lot more, I guess, disciplined in how we make decisions. So for us, that goes from everything from purchasing decisions to making hires, um, anything that's critical to our business, we need to try to do it right the first time. Um, again, we do have ability to make mistakes, and I'm not implying anything other than that. Um, but I think from the community at large and what can be brought to the table and help is just continuing to connect good people with good companies. You know, they are here, um, but the, like I mentioned, it's an emerging space where the pipelines and channels to find the right people and to connect the right dots are, are still being built. The CDC is an example of people who are, you know, pioneering that effort. But I think just a continuation of people understanding that we're fighting the same fight and we're on the same team, even if maybe sometimes we are compete against each other, that what's better for us in this community is good for the community at large. And if we can support each other and build each other up, it's only going to bring more talent and more opportunities to us all. What does success look like for Gnosis Freight, say, five years down the road? Yeah, good question. I think about this a lot. And quite frankly, you know, it 
it changes as as things progress. But I think one thing that remains constant is that I want to make sure that the employees and people who trusted Gnosis, whether that be employees or customers, end the relationship with us in a better place than they started. And I think I'll focus mainly on the employee piece is the most special thing about our business is you walk into our office and it's not only clear that people are happy that they're there, but it's also clear that the employees care that their other coworkers are happy. Um, for us, it's about making it a great place to work, but also about making sure that people are mm-hmm. every day learning new skills and becoming better off. So while I would love for all of my employees to work at Gnosis forever, and I, I hope that they think that way as well, it's also making sure that if if the other opportunities came up where they needed to do something different, that they have more skills and are more competitive in the job market than they were when they came in. And I think we're doing a great job at that. If you could give one piece of advice to an aspiring entrepreneur out there, what would it be? A lot of choices there. I, I think <laughs> I'll, I'll say one that seems a little darker, and then I'll, I'll kind of spin that into something a bit more positive, is make sure you know what you're signing up for. Mm-hmm. You know that I find a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs are looking at entrepreneurship as a way to not have a boss anymore right. um, and to have freedom. Um, when in reality, being an entrepreneur may actually be the reciprocal of that perspective is I always say this, all of my employees are my bosses. I no longer have one boss. I have, you know, 25 at this point. And it's important to understand because that's the only way you're going to have success that at the end of the day, I am building an instrument to bring great people together. And they are the ones who drive decision-making. I'm just facilitating it. So I would say for aspiring entrepreneurs, make sure you're making the decision for the right reason. And if your reason is to not have a boss and to do whatever you want to do, you'll be humbled quickly. And But at the same time, I would never want to discourage someone from being an entrepreneur. I think it's the best decision I've ever made. I've had the addiction for a long time. I've had multiple companies before this. And while it's been hard and it's been difficult, it is rewarding You know, to see my employees going through the office and having ideas and seeing things happen that weren't a product of my imagination, but were a product of this living, breathing organism that is the company is a fulfillment that I have not been able to find anywhere else. So I would say one is is to do it for the right reasons. And then once you make that decision, make sure you are focusing your efforts and your attention to making the company bring everyone joy. And you'll find that you'll receive the, the joy as well. I love that. Austin McCombs, President and CEO of Gnosis Freight. Austin, where can listeners go to learn more about Gnosis? Yeah, you bet. Um, The best place would be going to Mm gnosisfreight.com. We have a few different videos and articles throughout the internet, but you should be able to find them all at gnosisfreight.com. And Gnosis has a silent G in front of it, G-N-O-S-I-S. We we keep that in there to keep everybody on their toes. Well, great. Thanks for joining us here at the Charleston Tech Center for the interview. Really enjoyed it. Yep. Thank you very much, Rich. I appreciate it. brings this episode of the Charleston Digital Corridor Tech Live podcast to a close. One of my favorite aspects of talking about the tech industry is how people like Austin bring technology to existing non-digital industries to create value and efficiency. This episode was brought to you by Workiva. Workiva is the world's leading cloud platform for transparent financial and ESG reporting. Visit them at workiva.com to learn more about their platform and solutions. Once again, I want to thank the Charleston Digital Corridor for their support and partnership in bringing you stories about the Charleston technology community.
We've worked together to bring you six plus months of great content. And I encourage listeners to listen to our previous episodes wherever you find your favorite podcast. While you're there, you can subscribe and leave us a rating or review so we know how we're doing. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And of course, follow the Charleston Digital Corridor to stay up to date on all of the happenings here in Charleston. I'm Rich Conti, and until next time, this has been the Charleston Digital Corridor Tech Life Podcast. Thank you.